ever made you feel like just running away from it all? Whew. <laughs> Come on. Does the strain of providing for a family, of parenting children, of paying your bills sometimes seem to overwhelm you? When the pastor asks for more of your time, when the pastor asks for more of your prayers, when the pastor asks for more of your money for ministry, do you think to yourself, listen, bud? I'm already past the breaking point, and I'm ready to run away as it is. I confess, I've felt that way before. To me, it's hard trying to please people, and we're all guilty of that. It's difficult feeling responsible for so many lives. There have been times that I've thought to myself, maybe it might be better if I just let somebody else try it for a while. Maybe I should just quit, and as I've been told so many times, go get a real job. Do you know what a preacher daydreams about? Nine to five, five days a week. Saturdays and Sundays off. The point is, is that we all have fantasies of escaping from time to time. The man that we're going to look at today wanted to quit. He wanted to run away, and his name was Jonah. And so in Jonah chapter 1, I wish you would follow along with me in your Bibles, where the Word of God says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, horrible words in the Bible, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid his fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and it was so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you so come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And they said to him, 
What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Had he lost his brain? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O God, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared God, they feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then he said, I have been cast out from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed in around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake your own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the vows of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Let us pray. Lord, there are always seems to be times when we want to run away from it all, when we want to flee from your presence. Lord, teach us through what happened to Jonah how we can draw near to you and, Lord, perhaps what the repercussions of fleeing your presence might be. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your inerrant word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Whew, a lot of supernatural stuff going on in the Bible, huh? Stuff without human explanation. But of all the supernatural events recorded in the Bible, none has been mocked more or ridiculed more than the story of Jonah. To skeptics, the account of Jonah and the whale is only for children. In fact, you've probably heard the story of the teacher teaching her elementary students about the vastness of the ocean and the enormity of the sea creatures within. And she said to them, don't ever be afraid, though, of going into the sea because there's no creatures in the sea that could swallow you whole. 
Well, of course, one little girl raised her hand and said, Well, I learned in church that a great fish swallowed Jonah. And the teacher laughed at her and said, It's impossible. That could never happen. And the little girl said, Well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go ask Jonah and find out for myself. And the teacher said, Well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? And what did she say? You ask him then. Amen. So cute. So cute. Friend, do you believe this story is true? Come on. A fish swallowing a man, a man staying in its belly for three days, being thrown up onto the beach... Come on. You really believe that? Okay, okay, okay. I'm with you. Is it difficult to believe? Well, I believe in the Lord, but brother, I'm sorry. It's difficult for me to believe. That's a big one. That's almost like the donkey, amen? The donkey talking to Balaam, right? I mean, that's pretty far-fetched he sure can it is difficult to believe you have to admit but if you find it difficult to believe don't feel bad many people find it hard to believe that a man could be swallowed by a fish and live to tell about it but listen to this in 1891 the whaling ship the star of the east neared the Falkland Islands, and the crew sighted a huge sperm whale about three miles off. Two small boats were launched from the ship, and soon one of those ships harpooned the whale. But the whale capsized the other boat with its tail. One of the crew members drowned. The other, James Bartley, disappeared and was never seen again, or wasn't seen again. The whale was killed, and in a few hours, they had that whale uh, tied to the side of the ship, and the crew worked for over two days removing the blubber from the whale. The next day, they hoisted the carcass onto the deck, and they removed the whale's stomach. But the sailors were a little startled about something that was inside the stomach that was kind of jerking about. Inside, they found that missing sailor, doubled up, unconscious, and they laid him on deck and they bathed him with seawater and within three weeks he entirely recovered and resumed his duties. James Bartley, the man who was swallowed, said this, I probably could have lived inside that whale until I starved to death. He said, I remember being thrown out of the boat. I remember being in a great darkness while sliding down this smooth passage. Suddenly I realized that I had more room and my hands came in contact with a slimy substance that kind of gave way when I pushed on it. He said it dawned on me that I'd been swallowed by that whale. I could easily breathe, he said, but the heat was stifling. The gastric juices had permanently bleached my face, my neck, and my hands. But other than that, my health was never, never affected by that terrible experience.
Now, I don't know how long James Bartley could have lived inside the belly of that fish. But I tell you that so that you can know, humanly speaking, that the story of Jonah is absolutely true. Now, in the book of Jonah, there's only three verses that deal with the fish. The other 45 verses in the book of Jonah tell the real story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is a story not very unlike our own. It's a story of struggles. It's a story of God calling on a man to do his work. It's a story of disobedience. It's a story of problems. It's a story of prayer. But most of all, the book of Jonah is a story about second chances. How many here have had a second chance with God? I want you to believe the story of Jonah and this great fish. Yes, because the Bible says it. I want you to believe it. Yes, because I just got through telling you that you can believe it. I want you to believe it because James Bartley did something very similar. But the main reason that I want you to believe the story of Jonah is because Jesus did. Jesus believed. When unbelieving religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign to prove what he had been saying was true, in Matthew chapter 12, this is what he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. You see, Jesus was using the story, the true story of Jonah, to illustrate his own resurrection. So, if we reject Jonah's story, then you must also question the integrity of Jesus. But I want to know, how is the Lord speaking to me and you through this story of Jonah? How does he speak to you and I through what happened to Jonah? The first thing that I want you to see is that without a doubt, God is still inviting you to join him in his work on earth. In verse 1, the Bible said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. As Chad mentioned in the praise scripture, the word of the Lord has come to you. The word of the Lord has come to you, and he's inviting you into a kingdom work. To draw other people into heaven with you. Now I don't know how the Lord chose to speak to Jonah. Maybe he spoke to him in an audible voice like he did to Adam and to Abraham. Maybe he spoke to him in a vision like he did to Ezekiel. 
Maybe he spoke to him in a dream like he did Joseph. Perhaps he just impressed upon his heart as he does with you and I so many times today. I don't know how God chose to speak to Jonah. All I know is that he did. Amen? And all I know for you is that he did. He has spoken to you. He's spoken to you. And the point that I want you to see is this. God still speaks to us today. And his call is just as personal as it was when he spoke to Jonah. He's speaking to you individually. He's speaking to you personally. God still speaks to us. And he's inviting us to join him in his work on earth. Yes, God still speaks. But would you agree at times, we don't like what he says. Amen? God still speaks, but at times, we don't like what he said. God spoke to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The Living Bible paraphrases that verse, saying, The wickedness of Nineveh was such that it smelled to high heaven. Amen? You ever smelled anything that smelled to high heaven? <laughs> you have to. If you live here, you have. <laughs> Amen? What's that Anderson cologne I talk about all the time? About the time they had yeah, the chicken houses? Uh-huh. That smells to high heaven. God had called Jonah to take a message of judgment to the city of Nineveh. God calls you and I to take a message that one day there will be a judgment even to the people at Bethel. But Nineveh was an up-and-coming kind of city, a world power in Jonah's day, and within about 50 years, Nineveh would become the capital of the vast Assyrian Empire. Now, Nineveh was located right along the Tigris River, and that is where Iraq is now. All right? And uh, that city, Nineveh, had a population of about 600,000 people. That's about 10 times the population of the Quad Cities area. Uh, the streets in Nineveh were uh, about 20 miles long. Uh, the wall around Nineveh was over 100 feet high. Now, this sanctuary is about 45. Okay? So the wall was about twice as high as the peak of this sanctuary. All right? And the, the, uh, at the top of the wall was wide enough for about three chariots to ride side by side. So from Miss Janet to about here to about here. It was about that wide and twice as tall as the sanctuary. A huge place. A huge city. Why would God call Jonah to go and preach to his enemies? Because he what? God loved his enemies? There are people out there who are acting like God's enemies. And God's called you and I personally to participate in his work and join him in what he's doing. Why? That's right, because he loves them. Just like he loves you. 
the city of Nineveh was huge. It was not a nice place. In fact, Nineveh had this reputation of being very nasty and very cruel. The, the cruelty of the Assyrians was known throughout the world. In fact, it was the Assyrian policy to absolutely kill every single prisoner of war. No one lived if they were conquered by the Assyrians. They were, they were held down as victims. Their tongues would be cut out and they would be skinned alive. After every city was conquered, there would be this pyramid of skulls outside a conquered city where Assyria had been. It was definitely not a nice place and definitely not a nice people. And I want to tell you that Jonah hated them. He hated those people in Nineveh. The point is this. Sometimes God tells us to do things that we don't want to do. Amen? If you read the scriptures, you're going to find where God is telling you something personally that you ain't going to want to do. Sometimes he does that. And as a result, what we feel like doing is turning around and running in the opposite direction. Let me give you some examples. Maybe there's this guy at work. You've known him for a long time, and you begin hearing the rumors that he's having about his marriage. God has laid it upon your heart to talk to this man about these things, and you're thinking, Lord, I absolutely, positively don't want to do this. First of all, who am I to tell anybody how to live their life? Who am I? It ain't none of my business. Number two, I know he's just going to get defensive, and he's going to brush me off. It's a waste of my time. What's wrong with just praying for him? Now, that's where a lot, of, a lot of folks in our church fall, is instead of doing something that we really don't want to do, we're just saying, God, why can't I just pray for the lost people out there? I don't want to do anything about it, but I'll pray for them. I'm not discounting the power of prayer. But I'm telling you that sometimes God tells you to do. Say do. Sometimes he tells you something to do. And even though you don't like it, we're called to do it. Here's another example. Teenagers. There's a girl at school. She's a little rough around the edges. All she talks about is boys, 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 boys. And God's been putting that girl on your heart, wanting you to tell her about Jesus. But you're thinking, Lord, what do I have in common with a girl like this? She's not interested in religion. All she's going to do is drag me down. Her life is a mess. And I don't want that garbage in my life. Thank you very much. Or perhaps there's a guy. A guy you work with, doesn't have any friends. You see him every day, and God tells you, I want you to be his friend. You roll your eyes, and you, you're not on board with the idea at all. You're thinking, Lord, there's a reason this guy don't have any friends. He's a foul-mouthed redneck. All he cares about is country music, loose women, dirty jokes, and getting drunk. And not necessarily in that order. You're thinking, Lord, I can't relate to this guy. Furthermore, I don't want to relate to this guy. So send somebody else. Maybe he's saying something to you like this. There's a guy 
here in this community who just about lives up at the beer joints. And he drinks every day. He doesn't treat his wife good, doesn't treat his kids good. He spends up all the money that he earns for drinking. He acts like a fool. But God says, I want you to go knock on his door and befriend him. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't want to do. But you know, most Christians come into contact with the lost world in at least three areas. In our neighborhood, at work, or in your leisure activities. And when we read that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, it should remind you and me that we've got a calling from God to go out there and share the love of Jesus across the way and around the world. You see, you and I are a lot like Jonah. We often defy God. I know you said do it, God, but I ain't doing it. We defy God when he guides us in directions that we don't really want to go. So God does speak to us. He still speaks to us. It's that sometimes we don't want to do what he says. Now there's something else I think we can learn from this lesson that Jonah went through. And that is that going away from God is always, say always, it's always the wrong direction. But Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3 begins the three saddest words in the book of Jonah. But Jonah. Wasn't too long ago I preached a message on getting rid of the buts. Sometimes we need to quit saying, but Bill wants to do this. But I want to do that. Instead of being thankful and setting out to serving God, he decided he was going to run instead. That a person who attempts to flee from the presence of the Lord is one who absolutely refuses to serve God in a task that he or she has, knows that God has told him to do. See, Joshua made a conscious decision not to heed the call of God. And we often do the same. Nineveh was to the east, and Tarshish is in the west in what is now southern Spain. And if that's correct, then Jonah set sail for a destination 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of where God was telling him to go. You see, because God has given you and I a free will, we can say no. You know that? When God tells you to do something, you can say no. I'm not doing it. In April of 2001, at age 37, I surrendered to do what God told me to do. I know that I surrendered because I didn't want to do it. I had just moved into the top 10 salespeople at my job. I was beginning to make some real cush, amen. Finally begin to recover financially from some mistakes I had made earlier. But I sincerely wanted to do what God wanted me to do. So while attending seminary, God put me to work. He put me to work immediately, helping out many churches as a fill-in preacher on Sundays. And after about a year and a half 
Uh, I was filling in for a small church of about 15 or 20 people. And after about six months, that little bitty church was led by God to ask me to be their pastor. And so I said, okay, I'll pray. I'll pray about it. And after several weeks of selfish praying, I declined. I would not surrender. I would not do what I knew God was telling me to do. Shortly thereafter, I left that small church and I entered into the lowest low of my ministry. For over a year, I did not get a single opportunity to preach. And for two years, I didn't get to preach regularly anywhere. What's the point? Instead of being thankful and setting out to serve God, I decided to run in the opposite direction. I fled the presence of the Lord and I refused to serve Him in a task I knew God had led me to do. And what I learned is that brings consequences. Did you hear me, church? When we flee from the Lord, refusing to serve Him in a task we know that He's called us to do, that brings consequences. You can fight it. You can postpone it. You can run from it. Or you can surrender to it. But the peace of God will never come to you until you are in the center of God's will. The psalmist wrote, in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Is God everywhere or what? Yes, he's everywhere. So did Jonah think that he could get away from God? No. He was just saying, I quit. I don't want to be a prophet anymore. But he learned that going away from God is always going in the wrong direction. Now, what you need to know is that when we run from God, Satan is always happy to provide a way. Uh-oh. When he went down to Joppa, he found, say found. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship. A ship going to Tarshish. The Bible says that he went down to Joppa, he found a ship, and he bought a ticket. He made a calculated decision. And any time that we fall away from the Lord, it's always calculated. We make plans to do wrong, and then we follow through with those plans. Jonah knew where God had called him. Jonah knew where God told him to go, and he decided he was going to go his own way. And the Bible says that Jonah found a ship. Imagine that. Found a ship down at the port. And lo and behold, he was able to buy a ticket when he found that ship. Sometimes you and I justify our actions by saying, but I found an open door. I found a ship. But it's dangerous, friend, to try to justify your actions just because things seem to fall in place. Some people think that a course of action is right just because they found a ship to go the opposite way 
that God told him to go. O.S. Hawkins wrote this. The truth is, any time that we want to run away from God, one thing is certain. We will find a ship. And the devil will be sure that it sails on time. Satan always sees that transportation is provided for those who are wanting to run away from God. You need to know that Satan will do anything to help you be disobedient to the Lord. He'll do anything. When we're running from God, Satan's always happy to provide a way. But finally, running away from God is always a downhill spiral. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Any path that leads you away from God is downhill. Once you take a, a step on the pathway of disobedience, that road begins its downward spiral. Just look at Jonah's downhill spiral. He went down, down, down. In verse 3 at the beginning, he went down to Joppa. And at the end of that verse, he went down into the ship. And then in verse 5, he went down further into the lowest part of that ship where he could take a snooze. There have been times when somebody leaves the Lord and they leave the Lord for a life of sin and they justify it saying, but look how happy I am. Look how good I got it. Look how, thing, how things are going great for me. But they soon find out that although that ship was ready, and although that ship sailed on time, if they're headed for Tarshish instead of Nineveh like God told them to, they're sailing into a storm. It's what happened with Jonah. It's what happens with us. Dr. Donald Barnhouse says, when you run from the Lord, you never get where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. That's what happened to Jonah. He went down to, to Joppa, found a ship, and had to pull out his own wallet to pay the fare. But Dr. Barnhouse says, but when you go the Lord's way, you always get where he wants you to go, and he pays the fare. He provides the means. He provides the fare. Friend, God is still inviting you personally to join Him in His work. He still speaks to us, even though sometimes we don't like what He says. And if you go away from God, I promise you it will be in the wrong direction. Because when you're running away from God, Satan's more than happy to provide a way. Running away from God is always a downward spiral. So maybe you're a person who doesn't quite believe in stories so far-fetched like this one in Jonah. 
Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Christ Jesus and you think to yourself, you know, it's just a little too far-fetched for me to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would suffer and die, be nailed to a cross, be taken down, buried in a tomb where three days later those that loved him found that tomb empty. Maybe that's just a little bit too far-fetched for you to believe. I just want to encourage you today that God's word is true and Jesus did die for you. If you're a believer, maybe you're a member, maybe you're a believer, but you know and I know that you're not participating in the work of God. Because God has given you free will, you have the choice to say no. Maybe today's the day where you want to come back and quit fleeing from the presence of the Lord and join Him in the work He's begun. Whatever the Lord's laying on your heart this morning, whatever decision it might be, I just pray that during this song, you might utilize this opportunity to get right with God and join Him in the work He's given you to do. Let us pray. Father in heaven, in the world which we live, sometimes our first impulse is to run away. We think that in the flesh it's just too difficult to do your work. And you know what? You're right. It is too difficult for us to do your work. But Lord, your promise is is that you will do the work through us if we will just surrender and submit our lives to you. Father, for those who are ready to run away, for those who are ready to flee the presence of the Lord and go down, 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 Lord, I pray you'd stop them from going in the wrong direction. And Father, they would come back and seek to be in your presence. Father, thank you for allowing us the privilege of being involved in your heavenly work here on earth. Lord, there are so many people out there that need you. And Lord, you need us to be the conduits and the channels of your blessings to them. Lord, help us to be the hands that give and the voices that speak the gospel, the feet that are willing to go and the heart that's willing to share the love of Christ. Father, you know the decision that you want someone to make this morning, whatever it is. Lord, I pray you'd bless them with the courage to step out in faith and to do your will and honor you with their lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,